We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's late Thursday night as we record this episode on April 13th, 2023. The Chicago White Sox had an off day, and they could use one just to regroup. After visiting Minneapolis, the White Sox are now 5-8 and eight to start the 2023 season, and they are 0-3-1 when it comes to series play. They have yet to win a series. And making matters worse, Tim Anderson's out the next two to four weeks, as you already know that. Yohan Makata had a back thing that made him miss the entire Twins series, but the expectation is that he should be available to play at home against Baltimore Eloy Jimenez might be coming back this weekend, so there's some more roster shuffling coming. There is good news. The White Sox pitched a lot better against the Minnesota Twins, but just like anything with the White Sox, something good happens and something else resurfaces, and this time it's a terrible defense. We'll discuss all that, preview the upcoming home series against Baltimore, and yeah, I want to talk about the Tampa Bay Rays and their historic start to the 2023 season. So let's get started. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Again, the White Sox are 5-8. and eight. Tim Anderson's out for a bit. Yoan Makata missed the entire twin series due to a back injury. I know Pedro Grafal wanted to leave 2022 behind, Jim. Mm-hmm. But man, the start of 2023 feels a lot similar to the season that we just witnessed last year. It does. And... Watching the most recent game on Wednesday turn because Gavin Sheets made an error in right field, a position he shouldn't be playing. Um, you know, it's a case where understanding Griffal's sentiment and understanding that like he just wants the White Sox and, and his administration to be judged on what he's here for. And, you know, not to twist that in any way or say like <laughs> he was wrong to say that. But it's, it's a case watching that happen again while all these other guys are out and watching a bench that you know really lacks skills and those skills or lack thereof being uh, thrust in fans' faces again, it, it does allow fans a little bit of leeway to say, like, you weren't here, man. 
we saw this, you know, and, and you have right. a little bit of a back and forth, even though we're not having direct communication, but just, you know, fans are not stupid. Some fans are stupid, but you know, fans, <laughs> I think in general yeah. are not, you know, just, I would say there is a wisdom of the crowds when it comes like, there might be some guys who are underrated or some guys who, you know, should the, the, the larger fan base will want to run out of town, even if they are, you know, good contributor slash not the problem but by and large like everybody wants to see the white Sox do well and and when the white Sox don't do well yeah and if it's for reasons that happen over and over again fans seem to notice that react accordingly so in this case like sheets making an error in right field playing for oscar colas who did not have to be sitting like i think with rookies they're you know, you have to plan a lot of rest days, a lot of regrouping days and, and, and so forth. Like I understand like, you know, Colas can't play every day. Like Andrew Benintendi can basically play every day. Colas can't just because of, you know, soft skills, uh, involved in player development and, and guiding a rookie along his first six month season, especially at the major league level. But when it comes to, uh, you know, those circumstances, uh, merging for one opposite of glorious moments, <laughs> in right field that changes the game because uh also you know sheets is not hitting all that well and he went over four and he stranded five and nobody else stranded two so like he was not good at the plate either it's just it's a case where you know griffal wasn't there but everybody else who was does get uh a creeping uh almost you know creeping and then suffocating sense of deja vu so let's talk about the defensive blunders you make the highlight of gavin sheets I still laugh when watching the highlight, him falling, tripping over himself. I thought at, for a moment he still had a yeah. chance at the ball, or at least the ball had a chance on him hitting him while he's laying on the ground. <laughs> that would have been uh, that would have been a great way to go on the injured list, just laying here on the ground after you trip over yourself. Yeah. The ball it's, in the it was funny because I, I, I was uh, <laughs> putting Minnie Margulis down for a nap when that happened, and I saw the tweets like, Oh, yeah. Can't wait to see this. And like, I saw tweet after tweet after tweet. Yeah, you have to see But it. like, I didn't see the video um, or, or GIF of it on, on Twitter. So I, I got to go back to MLB TV and, you know, rewind a little bit to watch the play. And like, I did not expect that. Like, I expected like a late break. I expected we, I've seen him, you know, have really late breaks. I've seen him dive for balls he had no business diving for. I've seen him just whiff. Uh, you know, have a ball clink off his mitt. Like that was not any of those. That was a bad read plus uh, really clumsy footwork, uh, you know, bad read. And then like a bad recovery. And then like a, just uh, a real good slapstick. Like uh, you, you can almost hear like the bongos going when he's trying to turn his feet around, like the, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of movement uh, going nowhere and then just spinning himself into the ground, which was, you know, credit to him. Like, if you're going to screw up like that, make it funny. And that was funny. Like, can't be mad at you, partially because you're not supposed to be out there in the first place and you're doing the best you can. But also, like, that was just, uh, I'm happy to have seen that. That's way better than all the other errors that, you know, we've seen the White Sox make. Hopefully that is the last time we see Gavin Sheets in right field, but I it doubt won't be. it won't yeah. be. Yeah. Right. Uh, in that same inning, Andrew Vaughn fumbled a double play. Like, he had mm -hmm. an opportunity to field the ball, make it throw to home. Sebi Zavala is ready, and that would have actually prevented that run from scoring that Gavin Sheets comically misplayed. But Andrew Vaughn fumbles it. At least he gets it out at first, so it's not an error. But, you know, that's a defensive mishap. Mm -hmm. The game before, Hans Alberto hits Michael A. Taylor in the head. <laughs> Bunt grounder. 
uh, and it ricochets off his helmet, and that's how the White Sox lose game two. And the White Sox won game one, four to three, but they committed three errors behind Dylan Cease that he had to pitch around. And you had the White Sox wake-up call after that game, Jim, for the mm-hmm. podcast, and you mentioned that it forced Dylan Cease to throw 20 pitches. That's an inning. Cease yep. only went five innings because of his pitch count. He could have went six innings in that game if the White Sox just played clean defense. If they played clean defense, it's probably a four-to-one win for the White Sox instead of just having to bite your fingernails off, hoping that the bullpen could hold a one-run lead for four innings. Again, for the White Sox, good things happen. We'll talk about the good things in a moment when it comes to the pitching. But defense was a huge focus in 2022 really led to some poor play and a lot of losses for the White Sox. They entered this series with just four errors in 10 games. Now they got eight errors in 13 games. And all the players we mentioned, with the exception of Andrew Vaughn, mm-hmm. Gavin Sheets, Hanzo Alberto, these guys are backups. And as you wrote for SoxMachine.com, Jim, this White Sox bench, which again is a collection of really bad baseball players, they're playing bad defense to start the season. It is a bench that really lacks strengths. I think when you have Sebi Zavala, good backup catcher, he doesn't really count on benches. To me, like, you know, he doesn't count as the bench because, like, he... Right, every I'm team needs a second that. catcher. Like, he's a fixed, you know, that role is, you know, that role is there uh, no matter what. Zavala's a guy filling it, and he's doing a good job of it. So, like, he's, you know, when I say bench, that does not include... Sebi, uh, the rest of it, like Hans or Alberto, what does he do? Uh, you know, makes contact, good clubhouse guy, pitches, random three run homers. <laughs> yep, random three run homers. Like that was good, but like the, everything around that homer has been poor offensively. So like things you can count on. What does he deliver that you can count on? Um, not a whole lot aside from like being game for pitching. Gavin Sheets, we know like he's a good at bats, like in terms of like, you know, on base percentage or not looking overmatched. He's a, a good at bat from game to game. But when it comes like the season, uh, doesn't really have position, like even first base, like he committed an error and then looked completely lost after the error, like wandered right into the base runner, backpedaling, cut off a throw that didn't need to be cut off. Like he didn't look great at first base. And that's his uh, so-called natural position. So, like, he doesn't have a position. And he also doesn't hit the ball hard, which I think we're kind of seeing again mm-hmm. uh, as the White Sox play a lot of road games is he's hitting 280, but he's also slugging 280. And, you know, his max exit velocity is like 150th in the league. Like, he, you know, just he doesn't really have the – it seems like the swing mechanics or bat speed to really launch balls, which I think is why his – numbers are so so home heavy right field a guaranteed right field allows those fly balls of you know 98 uh miles per hour or whatever with the right launch angle just kind of float 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 until they land in the craft cave or whatever the the craft cave is called now lightning lodge yes and but the uh, target field those balls don't travel out there they don't they don't hit that uh over the limestone facing uh with the same kind of batted ball there so you know that's kind of like when you see his home road splits, the more I watch him, the more I understand that. So, and also, yeah, like I said, doesn't play defense. Jake Berger doesn't really play defense can at least hit the ball hard. You know, they have not yet merged uh burger and Sheets's ability to, you know, so they, they continue to take up two roster spots, but maybe like are like three quarters of a player between them. And then you have Romy Gonzalez, who is like the most 
athletic and probably physically skilled of the players, but is still having the major swing and miss problems. And we don't know if he's an outfielder yet. Like he missed that triple that clinked off the wall at PNC Park. I don't think Colas makes that play. Like that's a timing play. That's a unfamiliar ballpark. There's a lot going on to where like, I wouldn't expect Colas to make that play, but at least we know Colas is an outfielder. When Romy doesn't make that play, we're still wondering, is he an outfielder? He might be in time, especially, but like right now when he doesn't make that play and when he's striking out a ton and when he's starting every count Oh two, because either like they're just attacking him or because he's chasing stuff like that just undermines his uh, contribution. Like his contributions really have to be plus and he's made a couple of nice plays at second base, but there's really no reason to play him. Lenin Sosa is up. Like he should be playing there every day. So I just, you know, when you watch the bench players, like there isn't anything anybody does well, uh, especially when they're pressed to play the field. And that seems like it's a really uh, troubling combination, especially when you have this cluster of injuries, uh, especially like with the White Sox, you know, it's Moncada and Anderson being out. Like all of a sudden the infielders are needed. Uh, and if, uh, you know, an outfielder has to play infield, uh, then somebody who is an outfielder has to play the outfield. Like that's just kind of how it goes right now. So it is a weird bench. We talk about like the bench opening day that tweaks would probably have to be made once they realize what was needed from those players. And it seems like the time is, is nigh to add a defender of some kind. You don't got it though. I mean, that's the problem for the white Sox. I, the only thing I would challenge you, Jim, is that Jake Berger is the only one that's got a premium skill, and his premium skill is absolutely destroying left-handed pitching, mm-hmm. which is no different from what anybody else does in this lineup. Everybody, yeah. except for the lefties, obviously, smashes left-handed pitching. So, great. He he has a premium skill on top of the already premium skill the White Sox have. Like, he's not helping fill the void. And I'm with you. I mean... <sighs> Romy Gonzalez's whiff rate is 42%. That's 5% higher than last year. His strikeout rate is higher than last year. His average exit velocity when he does make contact is already four miles per hour slower than last year. The offense isn't there. I have no idea what the White Sox coaching staff saw in the offseason with Romy Gonzalez. He looks worse than last year. You mentioned Gavin Sheets. Dude. I, I, I don't get him. I don't get him. Like, to your point, where is the power? It's great that you're walking, but everyone's got to catch on to that. You can't hurt me. I'm going to stop walking you. Mm-hmm. It's going to be that simple. And then your on-base percentage is going to crater. And that's like an easy ticket to Charlotte. So you could send Romy to Charlotte. You could send Gavin Sheets to Charlotte. You could send Jake Berger to Charlotte. Hans Roberto, you want a DFAM? Whatever. He's Pedro's guy. But you got nobody else to rotate in and out right now in Charlotte. So you're like the White Sox are like stuck in this position. This is this is something we've been clamoring for is better roster construction. And here you go. Like you got Tim Anderson on the injured list. You got Eloy on the injured list. Yohan Makata can't play a series against a division rival when the division games matter more because you have fewer of them with the balanced schedule. And this is how you get so much playing time in what is kind of an important series to start the year, at least the first division road series in Minneapolis. And this is why Hans Roberto's got to play a lot. And Romy Gonzalez has got to play. Gavin Sheets has got to play. Like, you have no choice if you're Pedro Grafal. And what we've learned in Minneapolis is these guys are not good. 
Like, if you still have hope in the White Sox and you still want to have optimism that this season's going to turn around, the starters need to play, but they got to be healthy, and they're not healthy, and this schedule gets a lot tougher for the White Sox moving forward. Like, Mm -hmm. I am grasping at straws and where to find hope right now, Jim, to encourage White Sox fans to not lose faith in the rest of April, knowing just how poor these guys are in their playing ability and what lies ahead schedule-wise in April. It is tough. I would say that you know, you do have Yohan Mankata coming back for the weekend. We'll see how that looks. Not a reason for optimism yet, but at least it's something different, something to watch. Uh, it's at, not Alberto at third. Right. And it's a case where, like, you know, it is something to watch because Mankata tells you how he's feeling with the way he... Uh, you know, gets the bat through the zone at the plate. So it is something to literally watch. You might not like what you see, but it's something to watch. Um, I, I like Lenin Sosa being up. I like that Elvis Andrews is at shortstop now versus second base. Like I think second base is a rougher adjustment than you know I expected. Or just you know, like we talked about with the shifts being banned, like two shortstops sounds like the best thing in the middle infield. But right now, like just. Andrews didn't really seem to have an understanding of the angles or the breaks, you know, like the, they weren't coming to him naturally, it seems. So I like having Sosa there. I like having Sosa's bat, like seeing him uh, pound that opposite field homer out against Duran in the uh, ninth inning. Good sign. Like he should be playing every day because like he is the upside for the offense among the prospects. Mm -hmm. So this is a good natural opportunity while Anderson's out to do so, like play him every day or at least play him like, you know, five out of seven days. Uh, sit him against a tough righty here and there. Um, if Gonzalez or Alberto or whoever is around, like, you know, it's that's a reason to play them. Just like we talked about the Colos, like, you know, you have to sit rookies occasionally just to make sure that they don't drown. And that's fine. So, like, you have that going on. And, and that's a better infield once Makata's back. It's just a case of, like, is the back thing going to be an all-year project? And if so, like, then that's a really... It's a long season now for that particular aspect. Same thing with like Jimenez, you know, if he just hurts himself running moderately hard, uh, like he did last year, like do you have to hold your breath every time he's on the bases? Like probably, but at least, you know, if they're back, this looks a lot different. It's just a case where you can't count on them being back. And that's why you do have the recurrence of all the 2022 trauma coming back to the surface, even though a new manager and a new coaching staff is in charge. Yeah, you go from a Tim Anderson, Yohan Makata left side of the infield a week ago to an Elvis Andrews, Hans Alberto yeah. left side of the infield. Like, drastic difference in quality overall. Again, the White Sox, they just don't have enough quality major leaguers to fill out a bench to overcome these injuries. And there's some people clamoring, well, the White Sox do have depth. They don't play them. And you raise a good point. If we see more Romy Gonzalez this weekend against Baltimore than Lenin Sosa, then I think you and I, Jim, are going to be pretty aggravated when we record that podcast after the the series mm-hmm. against Baltimore. Yeah. Because I'm totally with you. Lenin Sosa should start every game at second base. Your infield is very simple in the middle. It's Elvis Andrews, because he's the only one that can play shortstop on a major league level, and Lenin Sosa. Doesn't matter if Baltimore's throwing out three right-handed pitchers. Romy Gonzalez and Hans Roberto should only be coming off the bench in bench situations unless there's another injury or you need Romy Gonzalez to run. But the White Sox didn't do a lot of running. Or you need Alberto to pitch. Well, yeah. Yep. Knock on wood, that doesn't come up this weekend. 
yeah, so you really need to limit how much playing time these guys have because that's what we found out in Minneapolis. You expose these guys, and you could have good moments like Hans Alberto hitting a three-run homer that helps you win the game, but he could also make a throw that loses you the game. Or Gavin Sheets puts the pitchers in a terrible spot. The defense, in general, putting their starting pitchers in a terrible spot. So this day off, I hope it helps everyone in that clubhouse to readjust and focus because they have a six-game homestand here. They did not play well in their opening homestand against the San Francisco Giants. Uh, So they got something to prove here in front of the home crowd. Now, it's not all doom and gloom. On the pitching side, the pitching improved a lot. That is something that we mentioned in Monday's podcast. The pitching was absolutely terrible last week against the Giants and Pirates. They needed to quickly improve, especially the third time the third time making a start in 2023. And not only did the starters pitch well, like Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito, but the bullpen was also really good. And we got a chance to see some new faces in the bullpen, Jim, uh, that, that shows some promise. Holding the Twins to just 10 runs in three games, I think is excellent work from the White Sox pitchers. Especially staff. since the Twins went out and uh, beat the Yankees 11-2 to <laughs> at Yankee Stadium. Oh, so the Twins scored more in one game against the Yankees than they did in the three-game series against the White Sox. They almost did in the first inning. They scored nine runs in the first. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Well, again, big feather in the cap for the White Sox. But you want to talk about Keenan... Middleton, we we got a chance to watch him in this series. And I know that you mentioned in Charlotte with the StatCast data that he threw more change-ups than fastballs, which usually is a red flag when it comes to reliever. But we did see some pretty good velocity from him. And that change-up is quite effective. You know, watching Middleton in Charlotte, like the brief amount we saw him there, and then like watching him in his later, I would say like his Diamondback days, his post-Tommy John surgery days, like it seems like he's figured something out or he's trying something different because like he was like a typical fastball slider changeup guy and it worked when he was throwing 97, but then after surgery, he was throwing 95 and that combination did just, not, just didn't work the same. He was giving up homers and bunches and to his credit, like he's trying something different. The changeup looks like, you know, I think when it comes to changeups, like there's a little bit of like Jose Ruiz trauma for me and just saying like, well, you know, Ruiz's changeup looks really good. And then like a month later, they figured it out and he's back to being ordinary. But with Middleton, like he's liking it enough. But we saw it in Charlotte throwing it more than his other pitches. Like, you know, basically it seems like he's a three pitch guy. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Evan Marshall. Not so much in like the, you know, he throws harder than Evan Marshall, but just three pitches can throw any of them at any time. Like, they, you know, the individual pitches might not be the best you've ever seen. He, you know, you might have seen better changeups, might see better sliders, might see a bigger fastball. But his ability to pitch backwards and uh, and throw in different orders and throw his righty uh, through righty righty changeups makes him harder to plan against, especially if like all your video shows a guy who's completely different. So he's worth watching. Like it, it's a case where uh, you know it's looks like they got a little bit of velocity back, and then just either they've said like, hey, we like your changeup, throw it more, or Middleton's like, hey, I've got a good changeup, I'm going to throw it more. However, it's happened, we'll see if he like stays uh, strong long enough for him to merit the kind of um, uh, turnaround stories you get after like, you know, James Fegan will write something great probably after like six weeks. You have Middleton has staying power that'll just you know, tie it all together. But I'm looking forward to seeing exactly like if this changeup is real, uh, how it came about. And you know, before you ask the Middleton question, I was watch- looking at that Twins-Yankees box score. Ian Hamilton, 
pitching for the Yankees, pitching a lot for the Yankees, three scoreless innings, six strikeouts. Hello. Jimmy, Jimmy Cordero also oh. pitching for the oh. Yankees. So old friend alerts, but like Ian Hamilton, like he took the loss there day. I'm like, wow, he's on the Yankees now. And yeah, he's talking about like, uh, you know, guys who have reversed their pitch order. Like he's throwing sliders most of the time now. So it's, uh, you know, good for him because he had some terrible misfortune, car accidents, foul ball in the dugout that broke his face. Like, you know, things, uh, you know, that you, you just, uh, you, you can't blame on baseball or work ethic or anything like that. Like just, you know, complete mis you know, Frank Grimes level misfortune for him. And to see him, uh, getting some run with a, with a good team is, uh, is nice to see. Yankees do like themselves some ex white Sox relievers. Also a shout out to Ronaldo Lopez, who got a four out save in the first game. That was very impressive. And then came back the following night to close out the twins in the ninth inning to send that game into extra innings and hitting 101 miles per hour, maybe he was amped up to match what Duran was throwing as he was throwing 103, 101 with the splitter. That was great to see Renato Lopez. I mean, that's the good. The White Sox pitched really well. Yeah, and we talked about like, well, I would say like with like Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn and such, like we talked about the dead arm uh, thing that just seemed like, well, they're, you know, the cutter is underpowered. Giolito's fastball is underpowered. Slider's not great. Like, here's hoping it was dead arm because like, they look like they got past it. Like Lynn's fastball had a little extra jump on it. Like the cutter wasn't great early, but then like, I'm not sure if he changed the grip or just realized like, Oh, you know, I'm throwing lazy cutters and, and, you know, got hit a long way, but like the cutter started jumping up more towards 90 than 88. Uh, Giolito hit 96 uh, a couple times when he needed to. So like the fastball jump and heat, uh, seemed like it was there when they wanted to be. And just overall, the stuff had better life. Michael Kopech, too, like he seemed like he was a week ahead of the other guys in that like his fastball was back to bullying hitters. So um, here's hoping that it was just dead arm. You know, the kind of thing that happens late in spring training or in April and, and they're past it because they did look good. Yes. And, but if the pitching is this good and you have bad defense behind them, mm-hmm. that's where it's going to cause some headaches where you're hoping the pitchers don't allow any contact in play. Because if there's a ball in play, White Sox fans just have to hold their breath, hoping that the defense can make the play. Like, that's a bad combination. It's it's one thing if you're if you're pitching really well and you're playing defense really well and you struggle to score runs. And the White Sox did struggle to score runs against the Minnesota Twins. But while I think a lot of people want to blame the White Sox offense, I'm tipping my cap to the Minnesota Twins pitching staff. This is a staff that's pitching a lot better and that makes me a little worrisome because that's been an Achilles heel for the Minnesota Twins. It's been in the pitching front. They got the second best starter ERA in Major League Baseball. And thanks to Aaron Gleeman of the Athletic in Minneapolis, the Minnesota Twins bullpen, they have the second best velocity now in Major League Baseball to start the season where they have routinely been one of the worst in the velocity areas coming out of the bullpen the Twins may have figured out the whole pitching thing, <laughs> despite you know their pitching coach leaving the middle yeah. of the season last year. So that's where it's worrisome. I was thinking, like, was Wes Johnson holding him back? Oh, maybe, maybe. But the Twins can pitch now. I mean, that is that is a strength of that team. So for future games, it runs are going to be at a premium. You cannot boot the ball around. Cannot boot the ball yeah. around. Yeah, when it's a case where, like, you're losing games because you're not hitting and you're not fielding, like, that's a position player problem. 
Right. Like that, that's, you know, it, it's more than just bad luck, bad sequencing, cold week. That's just a roster problem, which uh, unfortunately we're f- quite familiar with. Last week, pitching problem, position players did well. Starting this week, <laughs> pitching <laughs> well, doing well, healthy. position players can't stay yeah. healthy and the guys coming in are not good. Hopefully things change this upcoming week against the Baltimore Orioles as we take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But let's preview that home series against Baltimore and also talk about the historic run Tampa Bay's on next on the Sox Machine podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Now the Chicago White Sox are back home. They have a six-game homestand, three against the Baltimore Orioles, three against the defending National League pennant-winning Philadelphia Phillies. However, the Phillies have been really struggling to start the season. I think they are definitely missing Bryce Harper, not just for his play in the field, but also in the clubhouse as well. The energy level has been a bit different to Philadelphia to start the season, but that was the case last year and they made a huge run. But in Baltimore, they're seven and six to start the season. The good news for Baltimore, their offense, very good. They're averaging 5.7 runs per game. The bad news for Baltimore, run prevention, not good. Defense, not great. Pitching, not great. They're allowing 5.6 runs per game. Offensively, they're fourth in Major League Baseball in Team OPS. They got a Team OPS of 794. They've hit 20 home runs as well in their 13 games. Against right-handed pitching, though, which is what they're going to see plenty of in this series against the White Sox, they have a Team OPS of 760, so it does drop a little bit against right-handed pitching. Looking at Baltimore's pitching, they have a staff ERA of 5.49. That's 27th in Major League Baseball. That's one spot ahead of the White Sox, even though the White Sox had a good series against Minneapolis. This is where it differs 
Their bullpen, 14th in Major League Baseball, slightly below 4 ERA. They're at 3.98. However, they have been used a lot. They have pitched 54 and a third innings. That's the third most in Major League Baseball behind Cleveland and Oakland. Why? Because their starters have been really bad to start the year. They have a 6.86 ERA. That's 29th in Major League Baseball. Only Oakland has a worse ERA. Your pitching probables for this series, Friday night at 6.10 p.m. Central Time, and you could not ask for better weather for Friday and Saturday. It'll be 70 degrees, first pitch. Friday night, it will be sunny in Chicago. Tyler Wells will be making the start for Baltimore. Mike Clevenger makes his first start at home with the White Sox. Saturday, this is an afternoon game at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. Everybody will be wearing number 42 as it's Jackie Robinson Day. Kyle Gibson makes a start for Baltimore against Michael Kopech. First pitch will be 77 degrees and sunny. Sunday, put an asterisk next to this game because I'm not quite sure if it's going to get played. It's a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start, but right now, according to weather.com, there's a 90% chance of rain all day Sunday as the cold front moves into Chicago. A temperature drop will go down to 57 degrees at first pitch. It's an exciting pitching matchup if it does happen. Grayson Rodriguez, one of the top prospects in all of Major League Baseball who's been called up by Baltimore, will take the ball for the Orioles, and he'll be opposing Dylan Cease. So that's the pitching matchups, and that's the numbers and the data right now for the Orioles in the first 13 games. I guess it shouldn't be shocking, Jim, because we thought going into the offseason with Baltimore, this was a team that with some strategic additions through free agency or trade, could go from an 83-79 and 79 win team last year that surprised many in Major League Baseball to a wildcard team. However, because of ownership squabbles and infighting within the family of who actually calls the shots, Baltimore did not do that. They did not add any, any premium pitching. We knew the offense would be good, but there's a lot of questions on the pitching front. Well, in 13 games, guess what? The offense is as good as we thought it would be and the pitching is as bad as everybody thought it would be for Baltimore. They did add Adam Frazier, who was my big White Sox offseason edition <laughs> prediction. And he's actually playing pretty well. Like, uh, I, I stand by that um, half recommendation just because, like, yeah, you know, it'd be nice to have a left-handed hitter who can play a second base and outfield right now uh, to cover some spots. But, yeah, uh, that notwithstanding, we both liked, you know, in our – Speaking of free agent predictions, we both like Carlos Rodon independently. Uh, uh, I thought that was going to be my you know, out-of-left-field prediction. Then you offered the same thing. thought, like, oh, he would be perfect right now. Like, he's not pitching, so, like, he would not be perfect for this uh, Orioles team. But just, you know, they needed somebody. Uh, they, they don't they, – they have no long-term spending. That's, um, you know, hampering them, holding them down. Like, the fans are starting to show up. Like, this was the time to, you know, make that big – addition and you know instead you get kyle gibson who's actually pitching okay but you know kyle gibson-ish um and then the rest of the rotation is kind of falling like they're the the bullpen that was so good last year and so anonymous last year is neither good nor anonymous now like felix bautista is good like his stuff is huge and i'm looking forward to see if we see him like luis robert being able to swing with both hands on the bat this time because last time we saw him like he was letting go with the wrong hand against a guy throwing 101 and uh you know tony larusa did nothing about it so that brings back fond memories just the you know they 
it reminds me of other Orioles teams like the Buck Showalter era where just, you know, towards the end of that era where they said like, well, we were so good in one run games that can happen again. You know, we just have to be as good as we were. And that's just a hard thing to maintain. Yeah. Especially like if pitchers get hurt or flashes in the pan get figured out or, you know, just, you know, mortality happens for, uh, you know, ball players, you know, ups and downs, uh, especially, you know, ups and downs for players who were not especially renowned coming into the year that there was just a lot of uh, volatility with uh, these players. And right now it seems like uh, they're clashing like the, the volatility on the offense. Great. Uh, good volatility, volatility on the pitching side, not so much. So, uh, you know, I think the white Sox are in a good position here. It's like meeting them at a good time because like their pitching's not being figured out. I mean, obviously the white Sox have uh, their own, uh, things to iron out themselves when it comes to like who's available on the position player side. But like, I remember last year watching the Orioles just run all the way around the outfield, just, you know, especially at, at Camden Yards, robbing everything. Like the bullpen was so good, like sixth inning through ninth inning. Right now, they're not quite there. So get them. Like, yeah, is a case where like the, the Twins pitch well. The Twins are pitching well. They're pitching well against everybody. Uh, you can shrug it away, even if it hurts to lose two of three to do a division rival. But here's a case where a team is not quite coming together yet, and the White Sox are not quite coming together yet. So uh, they should be fighting on the same level. Uh, the Orioles, I believe, took three out of four against the White Sox last year in guarantee rate field. And when you talked about the outfield defense for Baltimore, that's what really jumped out to be going to those four games is just how well Baltimore's outfield defense played last year in the games in Chicago. For the White Sox pitching, I think that's still going to be the spotlight, especially Clevenger and Kopech, Jim, making their third starts of the season because offensively, like Ryan Mountcastle has six home runs already and 19 RBIs. He's got a 972 OPS, and I know nine of those 19 RBIs came in one game, but he's still got 19 RBIs. Adley Rushman, I think of the world of Adley Rushman, and also one of our Veterans Committee members, mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Law Hand, Pete Hand, uh, also gushes about Adley Rushman. Four home runs for Rushman. He just hit the walk-off home run in the last game for Baltimore to beat Oakland. He's got nine ribbies. He's got an OPS over 1,000. Austin Hayes has three home runs and six RBIs, but he also has an OPS over 1,000. Even Jorge Mateo has been hitting pretty well for Baltimore. He's got an OPS over 800. But Mountcastle, Rushman, Hayes, these three guys, that's who I've got circled in the Orioles lineup because Anthony Santander's off to a slow start for the Orioles. With these three, with Clevenger and Kopech, and we saw what happened to Kopech last time he pitched in front of the home crowd. It's all about, it's on them to try to keep this Oriole offense in bay because while you can get Baltimore right now and you can score against them, man, they could put a world of hurt on you offensively. So again, I, I still feel like the spotlight is going to be on the White Sox starting pitching and their defense. I might put the spotlight on the White Sox power hmm. uh, just because you do have some good left-handed bats here. You have Rutschman, you have, uh, you know, Cedric Mullins is not quite getting heated up yet, but like you have, you know, Santander is a switch. Like you have guys who can put the ball out of the park to right field uh, at guaranteed right field. So uh, the White Sox are hovering like a little bit below average. Like the power has dried up a little bit with all these injuries and, uh, that's the one thing I think I'm probably, uh, you know, when it comes to scoring runs or scoring enough runs, uh, they have to guard against the running game because we saw the Orioles running game eat the Red Sox alive early on. They're 17 for 18 in the stolen yes. base department. They're, they're, they're wow. also second in homers too. So um, when it comes to 
trying to manage the Orioles to like keep them, you know, five runs or fewer, like just they'll have their hands full, but it's also like the offense has to step up to match them base for base, which they haven't been able to do. So here's hoping Griffal, like, you know, gets Moncada back also plays Lenin. So, so just, you know, Oscar Cola starts all three games, all right-handed pitchers for Baltimore. Uh, he shouldn't, you know, he won't have his best line about there, but he should have a good one or good enough one to score some runs against this Orioles team. You know, you mentioned the way the Orioles run and their power. This feels like a dangerous game Friday night for Mike Clevenger, who likes giving up home runs, who does a really bad job holding runners on base. Strikeouts are going to be really important for Mike Clevenger Friday night. Uh, Try to avoid ball and play as much as possible or pitching with runners on base because things could get out of hand if, if he is living in the middle of the zone, if he can't establish the corners now that you mentioned it. On the White Sox power, you make a really good point because right now the White Sox power is pretty much Luis Robert. Mm-hmm. He's got four doubles. He leads the team with home runs. He's got five. He's got almost half of the White Sox home runs to start the season. Yeah, Luis Robert's not walking. We know he's not much of a walker at all. But, you know, with Andrew Vaughn, it's all doubles right now. He's got six doubles. He's got no home runs. Gavin Sheets, as you mentioned, seven singles, no extra base hits. If the White Sox do get Eloy Jimenez, that'll be fine. That'll be actually great, but he's got no home runs before he got hurt, and he just has two doubles. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, he hit that homer on opening day. He hasn't homered since, and he's got three doubles. So I, I, I think that's a good point you make, Jim, that the power is going to be on the spotlight here because if Baltimore continues to hit well against White Sox pitching, the only chance the White Sox have of avoiding another series loss at home is that they have to go toe-to-toe against the Orioles in the power front, and they can, especially with how poorly the Orioles have been pitching. I mean, Oakland's not a good team, and Oakland put up quite a bit of runs uh, earlier this week against Baltimore. It can be done. Yeah, I'm looking at Gavin Sheets' StatCast page because like, I want to make sure that I-, I was right about that. He's had a weird season because like, his average exit velocity is 75th percentile, but his max exit velocity is... 19th percentile he has not hit a ball harder than 103 miles per hour so just the it's he's hit you know the the bats are consistent but they're not you know it's not quite damage uh velocity so yeah i mean vaughn's power is the balls he's hit have looked legit like he's hitting a lot of doubles like the he's lifting the ball to the pole field the way we want to see him it's just like line drives right now versus um you know getting over the wall which I take that as a positive for Vaughn. Uh, his bats looked really good. He's walking like we saw him walk at Cal. So like his yes. game, I think is coming together, but yeah, everybody else you mentioned, yeah, rather suspect in this regard, but hopefully like, you know, the Orioles will serve up some meatballs. Like the, the twins really did not. And the white Sox, you know, they missed their share as well. Aside from Alberto, like you know, turning on that spinner that might have threw him in the inner half, like Sonny Gray threw some spinners, uh, got away with them. Yeah. You know, uh, Pablo Lopez did in the first inning and then figured it out. But like, they also helped him out with expanding the zone, swinging on first pitch a lot. Like, yeah, they need to regroup a little bit and hopefully with the day off, uh, Mancata back in the lineup and then like just a worse pitching staff, knock on wood. Like this does, uh, you know, maybe it's still going to be uneven, but at least there should be some potential for power. I'll see everyone at the stadium. So if you're listening to this planning, going to that weekend series, I know with the opening day, 
being on a Monday this year and then some really weird mid-afternoon games on a Wednesday and Thursday. Not everybody got a chance to go to guarantee rate field to see the White Sox against the Giants. But if this is going to be your first White Sox game of the season, stop on by. I'll be in Section 108. That's where our season tickets are. Be great to see you in the stadium. I'll definitely be there Friday and Saturday. Because, again, the weather looks fantastic Friday and Saturday to check out a game at Guarantee Ray Field and see the White Sox for the first time if you didn't get a chance to watch them on opening day. And we'll recap that series for Monday Sox Machine Podcast. But before the end of this show, and I sent out a tweet, Asking our followers, Jim, if they would, if they wouldn't mind, if we just talked about Tampa Bay uh, in this particular podcast mm-hmm. episode, and we want to be fair, not all White Sox fans want to hear about Tampa Bay, but I do want to talk about Tampa Bay because I was two and a half years old when the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers started 13 and 0. So in my lifetime, in my memory of watching baseball. I've never seen a team this hot to start a season as the Tampa Bay Rays are 13 and 0. And I have found the Tampa Bay Rays during this stretch gym to be must watch TV, hopping on the Peloton on the TV, bringing up the MLB app. And I'm watching more Tampa Bay Rays baseball than I usually do. Usually if I have the four square thing with the MLB.tv Sometimes you get a square if it's a big AL East game. You know, I'm, I'm like a quarter of my attention is being paid attention to the Rays. But I have been watching almost full Tampa Bay Rays games because I want to know how they're doing it. And I don't know what's more impressive about the Rays. Again, they played 13 games just like the White Sox. The Rays have scored 101 runs. That's 41 more than the White Sox. They've only allowed 30 runs. That's 47 fewer runs than the White Sox have allowed. Like, which one is more impressive to you? The amount of runs Tampa Bay has scored or the runs that they have allowed? To me, what's impressive is that they have nine guys with considerable playing time. OPS is over 900. Nine? Nine. So you would side with the the run scored, the 101 yeah. run scored. Jose Siri, like he's you know he's played six games. He's got a 10.15 OPS. Josh Lowe, nine games, uh, 10.96 OPS. Everybody else is in double digits. Everybody else is a regular. Like really, when you look at the regulars, like Manny Margot is like the only one who's underperforming, and he plays a good defensive outfield. So I mean, like it's a case where like got to bring something to the table, and everybody in the Rays does that. And, you know, they won game, they, they pitched a shutout with an opener. Uh, this last game against the Red Sox, they lost their starting pitcher after three innings to a nerve issue. And then they figured out over the next six are able to come back. So like, you know, to me, when you watch the Rays, like it's not necessarily like, I wouldn't want to see every team operate like the Rays because like it does lead to just like a, a lot of anonymity. I, I think it's good for teams to develop stars and develop fixtures and, and really, um, you know, like, Adley Rutschman, you had to go back to him. Like, I enjoy the hell out of watching him play. I like that he's in Baltimore. I like that Baltimore has a guy like that. You know, I like when these uh, fixtures are scattered around the league and you think they're going to be there forever, even if, you know, Rutschman might not be. Right now, it just feels like he's an Oriole. Like, Baltimore, like Baltimore games on? Oh, if Rutschman's coming to play, I'll watch that. Like, the Rays, the way they operate, like, they try to keep their players, you know, it's part, yeah, I think it's, it's uh, kind of like a, both a, goal and a byproduct of their approach is like they just cycle through so many players and all of them are cheap because like all of them are replaceable 
they do a great job of replacing them. And so like they just, you know, they never feel inspired to spend, but like what I like about them is like, especially on the pitching side. So I'll, I'll say the pitching side's impressive too. It's just like, they're great at problem solving. Like that's, that's one thing I wish the you know, White Sox, you know, if they could ever overhaul the front office and, and, you know, find the brain power, not necessarily just from the Rays, but from other teams as well. But like, when you look at the Rays, like they're so good at solving problems. The White Sox are maybe the worst team at solving problems. Like there is, there is a, a post about it by Stephen Goldman and baseball uh, prospectus talking about like how the White Sox just seem like incapable of self-reflection. Um, whether it's Rick Hahn or whether it's Jerry Reinsdorf, they just like let problems roll over and, and just like, it's a half finished product every year and every, you know, uh, since the rebuild started basically, uh, or at least since the rebuild, like hit its stride in 2020, uh, you know, it's just been a half finished product and they just really don't seem to wonder why. And the Rays are great. You know, the Rays are the, the opposite of just like poking and prodding, like, um, Guys hit the waiver wires, like these minor trades that pay major dividends uh, that you don't see coming. And just because they're great at like just stacking guys. And then you look at their minor league records and they're like, they're winning every single, they're either like first or second in every mm-hmm. single minor league standings and winning percentage and, and titles. And just like, they're so good at solving problems and creating solutions. Like, you know, you have to have solutions, solve problems, but like they're so great at having guys that are not afraid to go to if something goes wrong. And I really wish the White Sox could import some of that talent uh, and, and you'll give them promotions from the Rays over to the White Sox just to understand what they do to make the White Sox just, if they're twice as good as they are at problem solving, it'd still probably be half as good as the Rays, but it would be a start. To challenge you on one end, I love watching Wander Franco play. And I think Wander Franco is to Tampa Bay, Adley Rushman is to Baltimore. And Franco does have that gigantic yeah. 11 year contract that he signed with the Rays, but no, to yeah. your point, And this okay, is, yeah. we would talk about Tampa Bay being the super college yeah. baseball team. Usually outside of Wander Franco, everyone's here for four to five years and then they're gone and they're replaced by the guys that they've been developing the last yeah. three to four years in their minor leagues, winning a bunch of minor league games to your point, Jim, it's every time I check out the white Sox minor league affiliates, either against the Rays affiliates or the Astros affiliates, they continue to get their butts kicked. I mean, the Durham bulls, what is the, what do you think is the Durham bulls record against the Charlotte Knights in the last decade? Like, it just feels like every time the Knights play the bulls, (laughs) the Knights are losing four out of five in that five game series. Like it it just, it's not fair, but between those two organizations. Yeah. Bowling green, Bowling Green's the Rays affiliate in uh, high A uh, play at Winston-Salem. So when I, Winston-Salem plays Bowling Green, it's like an hour north of Nashville. So I go check it out. And sometimes you watch lineups. Uh, the the dash I put out there against uh, the Rays is they're developing pitching, pitchers at high A. And just look at the results, like two innings in, and you just say, yeah. like, oh, bless your hearts. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is not going to go well. And not not terrible, but just like they're, they're so good at pitching and, and developing guys that just – at high A, when you have like White Sox, Winston-Salem dash lamps, and they've had some okay dash lineups, but just, um, you know, patience isn't their strong suit. And the pitchers they have at Bowling Green were just exploiting the impatience of the dash. And, you know, so I've seen it there. I've seen it a couple times in person at Durham. And, yeah, I mean, they're, they're great at creating solutions. But, yeah, Franco, yeah, he's 
Like Franco, yeah, he's he's legit and he's there, but just like mm-hmm. I meant overall, like in terms of before him, they went a whole lot of just recycling, you know, cycling through players, getting rid of favorites, uh, trading guys, yeah, you know, trading closers, uh, you know, trading starters, etc. Um, yeah, so it's good that they have a guy, and be nice if they had a couple more just as they try to figure out a stadium situation. Like, I don't want to see them getting stadium situation until like they have like players who fans can buy jerseys for. And, you know, Franco's one, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while, right? It, before Franco's Evan Lagoria, and yeah. he's been gone for he's been gone for a bit. The Rays, this is a fantastic stat from Sarah Lanes on Twitter. The Rays are the first team since the Gothams and the Maroons back in 1884, in which the Rays have only trailed at the end of just six of the 117 innings they played this season. So they have been tied or leading in 111 innings they have played to start the season. And it's the first time anyone has started a season like this since 1884. So that's how historic this run is. No one listening to this, you've never seen this in your lifetime and how they're playing. And you know what? You're right. The offense is not sustainable at that level the run prevention is not sustainable at that level. But is anyone doubting the Rays? I mean, even if they take a step back and they're only averaging five runs per game offensively, they are going to be incredibly difficult to beat because we know just how good they are and how fundamentally sound they are on the run prevention side. And mm-hmm. they faced the White Sox seven times in April. <laughs> Like after this homestand, it's a three game series in St. Petersburg. And then it's a trip to Toronto and your reward coming back home from Toronto is a four game home series against Tampa Bay. The White Sox are going to see a lot of Tampa Bay before the end of this month. And maybe they cool off, but this couldn't be a worse time to face the Tampa Bay Rays with just how well they're playing. We'll see who's available. I'm not going to preview that series yet just because <laughs> there's so much fluctuation with who the White Sox have on hand. And like, yeah, the Whites, uh, the, the Rays do not have Gavin Sheets in right field. No, they don't. They do not have Hanser Alberto hovering around, no, hanging don't. around, holding a glove. No, they got nine guys with an OPS over 900, as Jim mentioned. I mean, just, it is crazy. So if you haven't got a chance to watch any baseball from the Tampa Bay Rays, I highly recommend it over the weekend. I'm sure they're going to lose a game over the weekend, but 13-0, this is the first time since the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers did it. And the way that they're playing baseball, none of us have seen it in our lifetime. And just how great a baseball they have played to start the 2023 season I haven't even bothered looking at the projected standings. I'm sure some odds have changed into Tampa Bay's favor, especially in the American League East. But if you're a Yankees or you're a Blue Jays fan, maybe you're sweating a little bit because we knew that Tampa Bay would be a good team coming into this season. If they're a great team, that might change some thinking for some teams in the American League East, especially if they are wanting to compete for one of those playoff spots. One of those teams is what the White Sox will be playing this weekend against Baltimore. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And again, we'll be back with a new episode on Monday as we recap the action between the White Sox and the Baltimore Orioles. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. 
Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine where all of our podcast episodes now get uploaded there. So you can listen and watch the episodes on our YouTube page. And you can also follow us on Instagram. I'll take some pictures and videos during the home games. And it's the same handle on Twitter at socks machine and at socks machine underscore Josh. If you just discovered the socks machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple music. If you enjoy our work and would like more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash socksmachine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content like the P.O. Socks mailbag, which Jim answers your guys' questions. You get ad-free versions of both the website and the podcast. And when we have new Socks Machine swag in the Socks Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash socksmachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're all for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs>